The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sinerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. It's good to be here. And Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hello there. So we are episode 101. So we're we're in our second century of episodes, and it was a really great episode last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen, uh, we had everyone here, everyone was present, and we were all talking about our favorite tech of all time. And what a great time that was because we got, I think one of the themes that came out was how, how often our favorite tech were things that just made our lives better, connected us more with other people made us more uh, aware of the people around us, that sort of thing. So I was really, really appreciative of that opportunity to have that sort of discussion. So that was a lot of fun. So make sure you check that out if you haven't given that a listen. But uh, today we wanted to have another kind of discussion. This is a a question that came in from a listener, Chris, and uh, I'm going to read part of it and then uh, make some further comments. It's kind of a long email, so I'm going to excerpt from it. Uh, Chris writes... For the average internet consumer, are there any indicators which would be helpful to vet whether the creators of any site or app actually know what they're doing and have really done their homework in terms of cybersecurity? So this is in reference to, uh, and this is me again, in reference to the the whole thing about the Parler social media network that was taken down uh, due to all the political stuff. And what happened after it went down was people got access to all the parlor data, all, every post, every deleted post, every photo, every private uh, direct message was all obtained in various ways. And we can talk a little bit about that in a sec and put out there and is being used to, you know, hunt down everyone who had anything to do with the Capitol Hill thing in beginning of January. And so this is concerning because even if you're not engaged in insurrections or whatnot, you know, you don't want your private information out there. And we use all these services for lots of different things. So how can the average user figure out whether a, a any particular service that we decide to use is safe? Uh, so that's what we wanted to talk about here. Um, there are some details about the Parler one that's really kind of specific to Parler. What part of that is Parler apparently had some really bad security and programming practices. I mean, particularly yes. bad. <laughs> yes, they were. Uh, I, I don't think uh, they they were a one of those knee jerk response kind of uh, situations where you had a social media uh, fallout where people wanted to use social media to talk freely, and they felt that Facebook wasn't meeting that need, or Twitter wasn't meeting that need, uh, or they were just you know kind of reacting to uh, the censoring on those uh, on those websites, and so they went to something else. And so you know as uh, is the case now with a lot of tech, you have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that says, well, we can make something like this because really you can follow a you know twenty minute tutorial and learn how to make something similar to Facebook that uh, does everything that Facebook does, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> in getting the posts up 
the problem is is that Facebook has a lot of built-in uh, protections for people. And so this is a great question because it really gets to the heart of that. Okay, so I want to move to something that's not as soul-sucking as Facebook or Twitter <laughs> or one of these, you know, gigantic uh, uh, conglomerations of things. But how do I gauge whether or not uh, it's safe, whether or not it's it's working the way it's supposed to? So, yes. Good question. <laughs> and that is a good question. So, and, and I think the big lesson here is it's really hard. Like it's like you said, it's easy to create something. It's hard to create a good one, a large mm-hmm. one. Uh, exactly. I mean, I still remember back in the early days of Twitter and Facebook how often they would crash and go down. Like you mm-hmm. fail whale became part of the lexicon. <laughs> if the right? fail whale was the the icon that Twitter used when their service wasn't working, and it, became, it was so common that they would go down that people started using fail will to refer to other things like oh i fail willed on that i mean it's just it was it was emblematic of unreliable service so it took them many years and probably several billion dollars each to really get to a point where they're they they, they can even just stay online and if think about how often facebook just works poorly for you i mean Mm. anybody who uses facebook at all knows that facebook i mean you think about it it's got a, a good Lord knows how many billion users now. And if each one is on average posting a post a day, that's a billion intersections, you know, to post a day. But every one of their friends has to see that post. I mean, we're talking billions and billions and billions, you know, Sagan's worth of uh, <laughs> transactions that are going on. That's really hard to do. So, yeah, it's it's easy to start a social media network. It's hard to do it well. I think that's the first lesson. Yes. Mm-hmm. The other other thing is is that uh, there's a history in the in the past of computing where people go through a process to learn what works for security, what works for backup, and stuff like that. We, I, I'm sorry, but I was back in the '60s uh, with computers uh, when they in when they were first starting out, and so there was a whole lot of people that went into how to build these things. Then when we went to the smaller PC networks, all that learning had to be done again by the new people. And now we're seeing it again. All these same lessons have to be learned again. And a small, a small organization doesn't have that staff to learn it as right. easily. Yeah. And, and one of the things is like someone like Facebook comes along and they have hundreds, thousands of engineers working on this. And eventually those engineers go off to work for other people. New startups come along and they'll hire people who have the knowledge that they gained working at Facebook or Twitter or whatnot. And so that knowledge disseminates. But yes, it takes time for it to get out there, for these learned lessons to get out there. So that's part of part of the problem. Um, now, one of the things that uh, listener Chris asked is, uh, since Parler was kicked off of Amazon's web service and is shopping for a new hosting service, does the panel think that most hosting services are set up to withstand the kind of attention and attacks that w- they would receive from the motivated hacking crowd upon becoming the host for something like Parler? I think that the key is it's actually not really about the hosting service. It doesn't really matter what server it sits on. The server is a server. I mean, the one thing a server has to be able to do is withstand brute force uh, denial of service attacks, where which is where you have thousands of computers, millions of computers all hitting the server at once, overloading it to the point where it it just basically freezes, it shuts down. A host has to be able to withstand that. 
But but that's about it for hosting service. Well, they also have to be able to be agile in reply in responding to patching of security issues. And right. a small hosting service may not have the staff to keep up to date on all that stuff. That's true. That's true. Right. And I, and I think what what you're asking is uh, when you're asking that question is whether or not the servers themselves are secure for other things that are on them, not particularly for the service itself. So when you're asking about Parler, what you would have to know in that case is you would have to be on that company's servers in some capacity for something else and be able to jump across from one server to another, which if they even have multiple servers, that should not be something that you could do. So jumping from another host onto uh, Parler's instance on those servers, uh, it's, it's really easy to protect against that, and it should be... Uh, a very simple thing from a hacking standpoint it's much harder to do that uh knowingly like to say oh well, i'm going to hack this thing because it's easier so that i can get at that other thing that's on this this all this hosting service also because you have to know where they were and all the server you would really have to be an insider at that point to be able to just simply say okay well i'm going to hack everything that this person owns on their servers and then one of them will allow me to get in so that's not so much what you have to worry about. The The hosting side of things uh, shouldn't affect whether or not Parler can protect its own information. And so that's that's where we really need to focus is on that particular company and whether or not they're actually or, or that particular website or, or whatever service you're using and whether or not they're doing due diligence to make sure that they're protecting their users. And and it's it's not in some ways it's not even just about small companies versus big companies. I mean, how often have we heard about like giant corporations that left uh, a a database uh, or a file full of sensitive information unprotected on a on an open directory on a server or or even like, an employee you know carrying around unencrypted uh, sensitive data on a laptop and losing the laptop you know that sort of stuff. So it, I mean, it's just there's so much data. And so many ways for that data to get out there, so many people that are potential holes, it's impossible to, to close them all. I mean, it's you do your best, but there's always, you know, someone leaves a door, uh, leaves a door unlocked or a window unlocked. It just happens. Um, but I think it might be useful to kind of define some terms, because when we have a service, say like a parlor or a MeWe or a Facebook, uh, although Facebook's big enough that I, I want to kind of set that aside here, but like a a smaller service, like a like a like an app of like Parler or MeWe or one of those other smaller ones, they are not really just they they aren't usually programmed from the ground up by the team. Every bit of the service, they're usually conglomerations. Like most sites are usually dependent on a number of third party service uh, functions or services to do some of the basic stuff like user authentication, content delivery, like here's how we, we deliver pictures, photos through a content delivery service, that sort of stuff. They, they often will purchase these abilities. And then the secret sauce is what's specific about this particular site. And, and that's really, you know, what's programmed. And then the engineers for that site, say Parler, have to integrate all these things properly following the actual documentation, which is apparently what didn't happen here. Uh, and, and, left. And, and there's a lot of information out there about how this all happened that, that is actually, there's, a, there's a, thousands of different um, hackers, let's call them hackers, some of them don't deserve the title, but we'll just call them hackers, uh, hackers out there who claim to know how this all worked 
but many of them are 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 wrong or speculating or whatnot. There's a, only really a handful of people who actually were at the core of what happened with Parler, um, and it wasn't quite so wasn't quite so open and easy. It did take some skills to get in, but yeah, Parler was definitely to blame for this. So that's that's my understanding. So let's let's say what so what. What can we do if I'm a, a a typical average user and I'm thinking of signing up for a new site, you know, a new service or uh, downloading this app? How can I how can I make myself as safe as possible from bad security practices being hacked? What what are some th- what are some suggestions for ways that we can evaluate these things? I guess part of it is looking to see what types of security that the the site provides. Do they do they provide dual authentication? Do they just do a plain password? Do they do a uh, you know what kind of security do they have for the password entry into the system? Beyond that, you know, looking at reviews by uh, qualified uh, organizations or people to say how how good the service appears to be functioning, you know how responsive it is, how good is the the technical uh, response. If there's a problem, uh, does it take a week or two or three before a problem gets fixed, or is it usually overnight, you know, or within hours? And that's kind of be hard to do on a new application. It's easier to do on an older one that's been around and has got ten thousand downloads as opposed to five. Right. I think that's the that actually is. A, don't be if you're concerned. Don't be among the first wave of people. Yes. Let other people be the pioneer. Like just like in the real pioneer days, those guys went out and then they were killed by the locals, and then more people came after them. If you're concerned with safety, that's not the place to be, right? Yeah, right. Right. You know, so. the, uh, the bleeding edge is it's called the bleeding edge right. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I would say too for that, um, you know, I some of the stuff that I do personally is I will make a bad web, a bad password to start off with. I will always start with a bad password and then I will at, I will tell them that I forgot my password to see how they handle it um, because a, a legitimate company will not ever be able to give you the password that you made if if anybody ever gives you the password that you made do not ever use any website that they that they have in fact you should probably have a, a non-secure email for that purpose because they're doing <laughs> and, and all sorts them. of that stuff <laughs> yes, report them definitely. somewhere uh cuz that's horrible but even 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 beyond that if they only ask for your email as a uh, as a verification of your user to then send you a password reset that can be a a red flag moment because then anybody can do that. If they can get your email for a moment, then they can request a reset of passwords for anything. And then they have all sorts of stuff about you and, and for you. Uh, they can hijack the email between the two places as well. It's a lot harder to do, but it's possible to to kind of hijack the email coming from a particular place to a particular place. Uh, so, uh, you know, be smart about the way that you do it. Also with emails, um, it's not necessarily great that they ask you for a big, long email uh, or that they ask you for uh, an email that includes like all sorts of weird, weird random characters. Passwords. Password. I'm sorry, passwords. Yeah, a password that, that includes big random characters or, or a big, long uh, password. Uh, those two things can be red flags, uh, but they're not necessarily. Uh, if you have a, a website that has a, a strong password checker, 
that's that's good. It's a good start uh, because a lot of the newer strong password checkers are actually checking for good passwords, not just for whether or not it's long enough or whether or not it's um, Random. got weird yeah. characters in it. <laughs> they, they check it against the database that says, OK, it'll take this long for somebody to just brute force hack this password that you're using, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, the, one of the things that does bug me is like when pass when sites ask for like, oh, you can't have more than six characters. Um, oh, it's yeah. like, oh, that's like, awful. That's why more not? security right there, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, like banks and like medical places, like, what is wrong with your programmer that he can't handle more than six characters? That sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, 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 if if I, that's sort of a red flag to me when it limits how long I can make the password, you know, beyond, you know, shorter than a reasonable length. That's a, that's a big one. Uh, the the two factor authentication, you know, having multiple ways that they authenticate you is, is good. When you were talking about uh, uh, Thomas, about the, um, if the only way they get the password to you is by emailing it to you, what other way would they get the password to you? If you've forgotten it. Two factor authentication is really a great okay. example. Um, but if they ask you for an email and then have maybe some questions that they've that they, you know, when you create the account, they generate some questions like, you know, what was your first dog's name? What was the, the name of the school that you went to? Something like that. Those are good because they're they're things that you have to know beyond just your email. Uh, and, and so little stuff like that is it. it, it yes, it's annoying. On our end, right? When we forget our passwords, it's annoying to remember, oh, well, how did I spell that? Or where should I put the capitals in that particular word or whatever? But uh, that kind of thing is a step towards better security. And seeing that means that someone has thought about that better step towards security. In addition, that being able to use uh, uh, your phone number as another verification method, even if it's not the full two-factor, just the fact is, oh, you could reset it by an email or a phone number, or a combination of those, and security questions. As we said before, so you, a you will have a, a password manager <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Most people need one. Some people don't because they they are capable of ha- keeping secure passwords without a password manager. Those people are are rare. Most people <laughs> need a password manager, but because you have a password manager, when you get those security questions, don't answer them truthfully. Don't. Don't write your mother's right. <laughs> maiden name. Make up a fake one and put that in the password manager as the unique answer to that question on that site. Don't in, don't reuse it across sites. That's that's makes it insecure. That's we've talked about that before. So one of the things I would suggest as well is if you're trying to evaluate a site or service, go to their website. Uh, you know the the non-user part of it, the corporate part, and you know especially if they have a help section and and look up what they say about their own security how do they secure their your data how do they how do you keep it you know there what are they doing what are their practices they should if they're a good service have some information on that so that would be one thing and they should have their privacy policies about how they protect your the the textual part of your information that to type thing too and and none of this should be should be in any way secret about a company. If a company is keeping secrets about the way that they're keeping your secrets, they're not keeping your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then uh, another suggestion is you could Google uh, any articles or information about that service. You just like put the name of the service and then security or Hacked. security. <laughs> yeah, yes. Or a breach or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and some stuff should come up. Uh, we often mention various different sources for 
regular news about security. Like uh, I, I always recommend um, Sophos Naked Security, which is uh, by the Sophos antivirus malware company. They have a, a uh, security blog where they post articles about breaches and other things like that. Other security focus sites. Uh, Steve Gibson is, is a well, is, you know, well-respected security researcher. Uh, he has a podcast on the Twitter network called security now. And I think he's got his own site as well. I, f- I follow one called risky business. Okay. And they're, they're pretty good. They're out of Australia, but they're a, a great group that uh, does a really good job of covering the news that's out right now. Malware Bytes also has a, a nice blog and some forums where people can ask questions and uh, they you can sign up for newsletters and they come out with very frequent newsletters uh, with suggestions for people on how to be more secure and be more aware of that, not just touting their product. Right, you know? right. I mean, the, all of this is a lot like there's a lot to do, a lot to think about if you just want to download an, a new app. On your, on your, you know, on your phone, and you, you might say, "Well, why? I, I'm not going to do all that." And that's this is the problem: is it's it's hard. It's not easy. There is no simple solution. Um, it would be nice if there was a way to quickly and easily evaluate the security and programming practices of these of these apps and sites. And there isn't. It's it's complex. This is why, for example, we've had. Uh, automotive magazines for 40 years doing automotive reviews of cars because cars are big complex machines that need professional experts to look at them before we know that they're safe and usable uh it's it's similar uh, the problem is is we have government and industry uh, organizations that can evaluate cars because there's a finite number of cars that are sold there is a nearly infinite number of apps and that's a problem and and again, when you're looking to get an app, you look at the number of people that have gotten it, the rating that they give it, uh, and that type of thing helps as well. This is true. This is true. So yeah, I mean, there's no easy way. There's no like look at the sor- the the source code of the page thing. There's nothing like that uh, that's going to be the the solution to this. Now, some security products and browsers build in some type of a validation or reputation check. Uh, I know McAfee and a couple of other places had reputation type uh, things that you could turn on and it would tell you, oh, this is a well-respected site or this is kind of a not very highly used, maybe a little risky site. And then, hey, don't go there. (laughs) But, But that doesn't help you with apps. It only helps you with websites. That's right. So yeah, yeah. There's so there are tools out there for that sort of thing. Some of these malware, antivirus tools include site checkers. So those that might be uh, useful as well. But they, but they only catch things once it's out there. So if you've already started using the site, you know, it, before the before it's revealed, like the parlor thing, you're you're out of luck on that. But uh, so do what you can though. Do what you can. Take take the practices that you can do and hope for the best <laughs> that that you're not going to get caught. Don't don't post the illegal things anywhere. Well, I Never. mean, the, yeah, I <laughs> mean, the, too personal. Well, right. The fact is, is you assume pretty much assume that anything that you post on a third party site, on a website or third party app is is could possibly become public. So don't put things there that would embarrass you or get you into trouble. And if you use things that are encrypted end to end there and there are there are good tools for that for communication like say you want to have a private messaging system with your spouse or a business partner there are tools for that uh signal even iMessage on the iPhone is is good is end to end encrypted 
but beyond that, I you know I don't post well, even, things. Even with those, even with those, you have to be careful because WhatsApp the WhatsApp stores the information on its servers. It's in, in encrypted, but it stores the information on its servers. So technically speaking, the same thing. Someone applies. could en- unencrypt it, right? If if they if they get if they either give that encrypted data to someone with a big enough computer or there's a flaw in the encryption protocol in general if you if you put something online it's you have to assume that it could potentially get get out there so don't do don't put things online that would embarrass you or get you into trouble that's the the long and short of it (laughs) you're taking a risk otherwise yes (laughs) if if you decide to go skinny dipping that's you know it's always the same situation. You might be caught, right? You get caught. Assume That's right. there's a camera around. <laughs> Assume that it is public, right? Right. Exactly. 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 All right. I think that I think that's a good start. If uh, if if a listener, if you have any further questions on this line, if this raises any further questions, we'd be happy to entertain them. Do our best to answer them as uh, as we can. Uh, and you can send those questions to technology at sqpn.com. And we'll we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, all right. So before we move on to our headlines, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Father Matt N, Maria S, Joe M, John F, and Paul J. Their generous donations, which are, by the way, because it's tax season, are tax deductible in the U.S. to the fullest extent of the law. Consult your tax professional. Uh, SQPN is a 501c3. Uh, your generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. If you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows including this one, making your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. All right, our headlines. So uh, this is for you iPhone users out there. We, we, I, we often get accused of having an uh, uh, I, uh, Apple iOS Mac bias, but it's just a lot of us use these these devices, and there's a lot of them out there. There's uh, some some non Apple headlines coming up, but uh, this is this is this one is close to my heart because it really both parts of this uh, new head, next headline really uh, apply to me. So I thought it might apply to others. Uh, the next version of iOS 14 coming for your iPhone. It's out in beta now. Uh, will help in these trying times we live let's all come together and unite to say that we hate having to unlock our iphones with our mask on uh so what it means is uh you know if you if you have face a face id capable phone if you've tried to unlock it 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 can't because of the mask is covering your face and so you have to enter in your password and if you use a secure password like i do it's a real pain in the neck having to type it over and over again especially when it's prone to mistyping uh, so what Apple has done is if you have uh, an iPhone with Face ID and an Apple Watch, with the Apple Watch, if you're wearing it and it's unlocked, which you expect to be, it, it will work like it does now with your with your Mac. So if you have an Apple Watch and a Mac, when you sit down to your Mac and you hit the keyboard, it will unlock the Mac for you. And it will do the same thing for your iPhone now. So if you're at the store and you unlock your phone because you want to look at your shopping list, then you'll unlock it, you'll you'll swipe up 
and then you'll feel, uh, feel a tap on your wrist from the watch, and then the phone will unlock. Uh, no typing required. Oh, what bliss that will be. I will be in the, in the grocery store and able to consult my list. So that's a big one. The one warning is, is that it will, un it will do this for any mask. And if you're, if you're like, if, if it saw your spouse's face and your yeah. watch was close enough, it could unlock it. Right. Anybody, uh, if it, if right. anybody picks up your phone and, and it will unlock and it, but you if will you're tap close you. enough to your watch. Yeah. Yeah. But you will get that tap on your wrist that says yes, you do. somebody unlocked it. I was going to say that haptic feedback is the thing that sold it for me. I mean, just having that, that feedback that says, oh, my phone's been unlocked. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's Who's okay. touching my phone? I'm okay with that. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> I, what it is. That so happens. sense, right? <laughs> that happens here. I'm in my, I'm in the kitchen and, you know, my office is nearby and suddenly my, something will tap my wrist and it says, your iMac is un, is, has unlocked. I'm like, who's in the office? You know, one of the kids <laughs> is, uh -huh. bumps, bump the keyboard or something like that. Get away from my computer uh but but uh so it yes it, it it and it took a while for them to figure out because your phone can also unlock your watch so if you put your watch on first thing in the morning and then you open you uh, unlock your phone using face id or a password or whatever the watch becomes unlocked so you don't have to type anything in so they they had to figure out how to do this without having this loop of <laughs> recursive loop of them unlocking each other so it's it's clever uh, there are limitations. It won't do Apple Pay, so you can't you if you do Apple Pay on your phone, say you you still have to enter the password manually, which is or why I use your Apple Watch. <laughs> oh, right, which is why I use my Apple Watch for Since Apple you got Pay. It, yeah, you got it there. So <laughs> right, exactly. There's a couple other things I forget exactly. There's one other security uh, sort of thing. I think for purchases like in the App Store, still require you to type in a password if you're wearing a mask, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's good. I I'm just. I can't wait till that comes. Pat, you have that, right? Yes, I, I got the beta where I normally don't and it and checked it out and it works. Now, it is a beta. So there was something about after it did that a few times, there was one point at which my watch froze and I had to reboot it. But so that, I, I understand it's a beta. <laughs> right, right. And the beta is on both. Yes. You have to have the beta on both the watch and the phone. So they're both Correct. in beta. Right. Uh, the, the watch beta is scare me because there's no way to reinstall by you'd have if something goes wrong you have to take it into the store that and that just i don't want to beta my my watch <laughs> yeah you can't go back to an older version i think you could probably factory reset it but you can't go back to an older version on the That's, watch right right so there's something else in the beta that i think is really cool too which is uh if you have uh an apple card the the apple's credit card thing that works with apple pay uh until now that card has been tied to one phone, one user, right? So uh, we have an Apple card, or in, but it's on my phone, and my wife is unable to use it to 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 purchase, which is a pain because if she goes to, you know, the mobile down the street or you know whatever, we don't get that three percent cash back thing, you know. <laughs> uh, and it, it 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 I prefer to like most cards, most credit cards, most debit cards, you can have multiple users on it, so. Uh, iOS 14.5 is some people have found that it refers to having joint cards. So they figured out a way to have shared uh, use of the card among users in a family, you know, part of the family sharing feature. So that would be good um, that way uh, we can jointly make decisions about such things. And uh, so I'm, I'm curious, though, whether it will, because when you use the Apple card, you get an alert on your phone and whether both people will be getting those alerts and that sort of stuff. So I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, curious how that will work uh, eventually because I don't want to be 
you know, my phone going crazy all day with, you know, if my wife is making purchases, like, or she finds out what you bought. <laughs> okay, let that's me be a, honest. That's, that's, that's really <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a big like. I my my Amazon account is the Amazon account. You know, so if I want to get something to surprise my wife, I have to figure out how to sneak around the the situation. You know, because she gets exactly. an application for it. That's right. That's right. That we have the same thing here. Yeah. Um. The, uh, now <laughs> Melanie knows. I have to be careful. She doesn't listen to this podcast. No, uh, I don't think she does. <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, so she, my secret is safe. Anyway, uh, so that so if you have an Apple Card, that might be coming down the road. Then there might be some other features coming as well. So we'll we'll be. I'm kind of hoping it's sooner rather than later. And given that it's this particular problem that a lot of people have been having, I think it Apple is probably pushing to get this out sooner rather than later. Um, in fact, it might be interesting that how many Apple Watch sales this drives it could. It could drive some people who don't yet have a watch to get one to use with their phone. That might be the use case. All right, let's uh, let's move to a different story. This one is um, this one also comes close to home because we've talked a lot about these problems of these big tech services, tech companies doing things that are incomprehensible. You know, locking accounts, putting us in "quote unquote" Facebook or Twitter jail. And not knowing why or how or how to get out of it. And so this one, it's like, I think Google is shooting themselves in the foot with this one. I, 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 oh, haven't, yeah. <laughs> I haven't followed up to see if anything has happened further with this. So something they may have actually fixed this by now. But the headline is that there's this developer called, um, they're an indie developer that with a game called Terraria. I, I'm not familiar with it, but um, the company's called Relogic. And they have this, very popular game, and they were developing developing it for uh, Google's uh, streaming gaming service called Stadia. We've talked about Stadia, um, and they you know they've been working with Google on this and trying to get it out there. They were going to be you know one of the big uh, apps there, but the founder of the company or the lead developer of the company, he his YouTube, Gmail, and Google accounts were all frozen, locked out for unspecified terms of service violation and he's been unable to get back into it and hasn't been able to get a straight answer from anybody on what he did wrong or in and and how to fix it the it's the company's accounts so relogic's youtube account had this terms of service violation but their youtube channel is all exclusively trailers for their own games there's nothing in it that could possibly be a violation so it's some huge mistake. The big thing is, is he he took him three weeks. He's trying to get somebody at, at Google and YouTube to respond and has been unable to. And finally, he in just discussed, he said, that's it. We're not doing the Google Stadia game. We're canceling the port. If I don't want to do business with a company like that. What do you think? Can't argue with him. Yeah. yeah. Can't argue yeah, with him. It seems I, reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's a danger here, too, because I... I Going into it a little bit, it it seems like uh, the developer it had a personal account that he kind of then rolled over into uh, the Terraria account. Yeah. So that I don't uh... think this was a, a business account in the way that that it's separate from because because he talks about losing like his personal items on the Play Store, and so. And, and that makes sense because Terraria was started kind of as a labor of love. It's it's sort of like a Minecraft kind of game. Uh, it's like a like a 2D version of Minecraft. So if you think about it, instead of walking around in 3D world, you're doing a 2D uh, side scroller kind of thing. 
yeah. building, fighting mobs, you know, gathering stuff. Uh, and so it started in that same kind of vein where he was programming it out of just being interested in getting into games. It took off like wildfire, got way out of his uh, realm of personal control. And, and so I think it's one of those things where he he had his personal account that he then rolled over into this uh, business account. And now he's lost a bunch of his personal stuff just because it was the business stuff kind of attached to it, which is awful. But a lesson for people, when your business takes off, make sure that you make a business account for it. And if you have any followers, make sure that you roll them over early so that you don't have to do it with millions of followers later when a TOS takes your stuff down and you're Although, stuck without your things. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not easy to, to convert a, an account to a business account. You have to create a new one. It's yeah. really not. Yeah. Yeah. I've no, run into that. that. Yeah. And that's another thing that's really awful for, I, I mean, they should be... Uh, YouTube needs to be a lot more, and Google in general needs to be a lot more uh, cooperative in life, the way that people live life, right? Where they are doing things that are kind of outside of this small little box that says, well, this is my business stuff and this is my not business stuff. Because sometimes it wasn't my business stuff, but now I'm making a million dollars doing it. <laughs> right. So I, it needs to be my business stuff all of a sudden. Uh, and that's, you know, and there's another one, an, another one of the people that I follow on YouTube uh, that's uh, a, a musician and he does music courses, uh, was worried about the same kind of thing where he's got this back catalog of uh, videos. It's his personal website that he's putting or his personal YouTube page that he's putting things on. Um, and he's monetized it, but uh, he got a copyright strike because what he does is he plays music and talks about the music in order to to teach people about it. And it's Rick Beato. If anybody's interested, he's, he does rants about this stuff. So you can get the whole backstory if you want, <laughs> if you want to hear it directly from him. Uh, but he'll play parts of the song and he, he monetizes those videos because that, you know, you monetize everything on your YouTube channel. Uh, and the artists can go on and flag them and then they get the proceeds from that particular video. And he doesn't care. He's like, I'm not going to fight that. That's, their right to go on and say that I want that. But what he does care about is like a copyright strike, which is this terms of service violation kind of thing that's going on where not only did the artist go on and say, okay, I want all the money from that video, but I also want that video taken down and I want to, to strike them for copyright saying that they violated your terms of service and are playing my work as if it was their own. And you only get three of those and that's it. And, and then you lose your account. Like you just lose it. There's nothing you can do about it. And same kind of thing here where it's just like this vague, well, you violated terms of service, you're gone. That, that's the thing that drives me crazy is there's no explanation, no clear this. There's, there's no requirement that they provide a clear uh, de delineation of what you did wrong, what you can do wrong. You And there's no listing of these are all the things you could possibly do wrong that you have to steer clear of. And, and no there's arbitration. no. Right. And there's no appeal. There's no. There's no human being to talk to in, at YouTube. YouTube and Google don't have human customer support at all. <laughs> it's all bots and whatnot. And there's there's no way to appeal this. So we've talked. I talked about this a few weeks ago on the show, and, and it just it's it's terrible. This is not. This may be a case where government intervention intervention is required in order for people to have certain rights protected, certain of their their because people are having. You know, for example, people, their own compositions, their own music that they've composed, created, it's their 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 own property. And then 
some company comes in and says, oh, that, that's ours. And you it's a copyright strike. And they have no recourse to say, no, this is mine. They have no opportunity to do that. It's, it's wrong. It is so wrong. And, and this is an example of that. And the challenge there, too, is that a lot of this stuff is being driven more and more by algorithms, where an algorithm interprets a piece of music and says, this is the way the music sounds. And then it goes and listens to music. And I mean, there's only so many notes. They can only be put together in so many ways. Eventually, you're going to run foul of some part of some song. And if a computer isn't trained well, it's going to flag that for a copyright. And you don't, And the thing is, is that Google doesn't care about the, the truth in these matters. Google cares about Google's bottom line. And it shows when you have stuff like this, where there's, there's no way to go say, well, what happened? I'll take the video down. I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't want to get into this fight. I don't want to lose my account for any period of time. But they won't, they won't tell you what video it was. They won't tell you, uh, you know, what part of the video was, was a violation. Nothing. They don't have to do any of that because all they want to do is protect their bottom line. And they don't want to be taken to court for a copyright strike for putting up this thing that they didn't put up. To be fair, you know, they, they are providing this opportunity for people to put things up. But they can be taken to court for it. So what they're doing is just applying the hammer way too broadly to anything that gets a terms of service violation like this and just shutting it down and getting rid of it. Right. right. So, uh, well, hopefully something is going will happen and uh, hopefully this guy gets his, his uh, account back, but maybe, maybe this will affect Google's, you know, part of Google's bottom line, a game that they wanted for their service is no longer being made for them. Maybe that's, this guy is actually someone who can affect Google in some small way, their bottom line. That might be, nice. be. <laughs> Terraria is pretty big. To be to be fair, Terraria is uh is probably near as big as Minecraft. Not as big as Minecraft, but near in near it in okay. that perspective. So. Good, good. Maybe someone at Google will go at Google's Stadia team will go, hey, YouTube. <laughs> Right. Smart enough. Fix this guy's <laughs> account. You're losing us money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, th this next headline, Thomas, is from your neck of the woods. Uh, it is right a, across uh, the water. A hacker, uh, and we, we use that term advisedly, a hacker gained access to a water treatment plant in Oldsmar, Florida, and increased the sodium hydroxide levels to a dangerous level, uh, which was thankfully someone was watching as this happened and were able to immediately reduce the, the level back to normal. So apparently what happened was uh, the water treatment plant, there was an operator, someone had remotely accessed the computer system, which is not unusual. They have a remote access software on it. And sometimes various uh, people who, you know, employees have to access it remotely to troubleshoot things. And so he saw someone go in and then, they adjust the amount of sodium hydroxide in the water from 100 parts per million to 11,100 parts per million, which is potentially dangerous. Sodium hydroxide is lie, basically, which is a dangerous. It's what's in Drano, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, if that's in your water, that's bad. So uh, or at least in, at those levels, it's bad. Uh, they did. So the, the operator managed to shut down the remote access software completely and reduce the levels back to their normal amount. FBI, Secret Service and others are investigating. But this is a this is scary that, you know, there's a lot of our infrastructure that is potentially vulnerable to, to somebody. I, I want to say kudos to the Oldsmar uh, water treatment plant 
because this is a five-day-old case, and they are putting it in the news already. And wow. that, to me, that's it, that says so much about transparency. the transparency, the confidence in your people, the confidence in your system. Uh, that is, that's huge. That is a really really big deal and i you don't this doesn't happen because there are big companies that will they'll find out about something like this and they'll sit on it for six months a year uh until they have all of the details and are able to say every little bit and they could have been doing stuff to secure people's passwords uh, everything that's in their system but they didn't because they didn't want the bad optics this is a fantastic job on them for saying for being out there and being in front of this kind of thing right Transparency and accountability. I mean, that's the big thing. I mean, this happened on the 5th and they were, let's see, yeah, February 5th. And it was February 8th that they had the press conference with the FBI and the Secret Service and wow. the sheriff. So uh, that, that's a that's that's transparency. Like you said, that is great. I mean, it's not great that they that it got hacked. Um, and it's it, it's really concerning that someone was able that whatever remote access software they were using had a vulnerability. So not sure the software itself, but perhaps the social engineering to get passwords and user names or something. And so somebody was able to get in. But, you know, a lot of our infrastructure is vulnerable. And it's it's what's the only thing that's surprising is that it doesn't happen more often. It doesn't happen more often. Yeah. Or <laughs> or if it does happen, maybe not so surprising that they don't tell us about it. They don't tell us. But that's that's the other thing that I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. But so. Yeah, it's it's a lot of these a lot of people don't know that these systems are running sometimes very, very old equipment, a lot of times because they wrote a piece of software that works for all of the equipment that's that's running inside of these facilities. And to update that software to a more secure system, they would have to then go and replace all of the equipment or you know, go in and reprogram on a on a very low level all of the equipment, and that's hard to do. It's a, it's very very costly. So when you're running margins, you know, I mean, it's a public uh, water treatment plant. When you're running as low margins as they are, you can't afford to do that kind of thing. So you make what you have is as, as secure as possible, and you put good people on it that are recognizing the issue and taking care of it as quickly as they can. Let's. Our next headline is really a this uh, an example of of this difficulty. <laughs> this is this is a good one. Uh, in China, a railroad system for the city of I forget what the city was uh, in Dalian Liangyong Sorry, I said it all. Uh, it's terrible pronunciation. But it's, the railroad in this city in China was shut down for sixteen hours because. The system was dependent on Adobe Flash. <laughs> and when Flash went offline, we talked about this before, as of the end of December 31st, 2020, or whatever it was, it was it, 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 yeah, January 12th. There was the code in, in Flash that shut it down because it's not secure and not safe and shouldn't be run by anybody anymore. It brought the entire railroad system in the city, the subway system in the city, to a halt. Uh, and it was only restored... This is even better where they installed a pirated copy of Adobe Flash that allowed them to get back up and running. This is this is bad. That's just the bad all around. It is. It is. I love how they refer to it as the Y2K21. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, and it's, it's so accurate, too, because really you're, you're talking about older infrastructure 
that's running uh, an older, out-of-date uh, system. And uh, ample warning, right? There was plenty of warning that Flash was going to be out. But the problem is, is that you get so used to running stuff sometimes that you're not, you're not, you're not digging back through every single dependency that your your software has, and so it just runs. It runs, and you don't really think about what it's running. And and you probably kind of, if you've inherited this from three generations of people that have been using it, you know, there are three other people that built it before you, and you inherited it. It kind of works, and you're being charged with improving it. You don't have time to go back through and read every single thing that they wrote. You just kind of assume. And you would never think, why on earth is Flash responsible for any part <laughs> of, of, running, this, yes. of running a train system? But there you go. <laughs> well, this is, goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? I did also see that there was a hospital in England, or I think it was a medical facility of some sort, that also had a problem with Flash. And what they ended up doing was creating their own browser that would run oh, wow. Flash inside the browser. But I couldn't find the article right before the show to to get the I have exact a, details. Do you? Well, I have something. It's Actually, it's not a hospital in England. This one is a uh, the South African Revenue Service, which is their equivalent of the IRS, had to create their own custom web browser to re-enable Flash support. Okay, so I, I, I'm totally the wrong part of the world even, but <laughs> I, I remembered that something happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it could be also a, a, a hospital in England too. But yeah, they had to... Rather than port their existing website from Flash to HTML-based web forms, instead they created their own browser that could run Flash. <laughs> Would you run a web browser given to you by the federal government? <laughs> no, I, I have not. a personal story about Flash. Okay. I was helping a client uh, who is a driver's training instructor, and he had to be recertified. And so they, it was like a four, supposed to be a four hour class, which taken, has taken him about 12 hours now. But at any rate, at some point, he was trying to run it and it would not let him see a video because mm -hmm. it was Flash. It was, it was Flash. So uh. I worked with him. And first, it was the, the instructor, the uh, company said, Oh, well, you have to run it on a computer because your iPad, iPad can't run Flash. And I said, Big news. Neither can his, <laughs> his, his computer. computer anymore. <laughs> so even as we spoke over a five-day period, they had to go in and rechange out the videos so they weren't flash anymore. But now he could finish the class, and he told me today he wow. finished it. So that's wow. the very you, you personal did, You did work failing. for a whole lot of people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did. It was more than just him had that problem. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there is a bit, I noticed uh, as I was looking at that he headline about the South Africa, there was a link to a follow-up on the Oldsmar incident. Uh, so the FBI has uh, just today sent out a, a notice, a warning to about using out-of-date Windows 7 systems, poor passwords, and TeamViewer, which is the desktop sharing ah. software. Uh, that's Those three things apparently were the point of entry for the, the water treatment plant network. So. The perfect uh, storm of unsupported and out-of-date software. Yes, yes. That's just like you're saying. Uh, so anyway, in China, the, the, what, the reason that the flash was so important for the railroad was the switching station needed to use the, the railroad's timetables on the switching station were done through a browser-based flash interface. So that's what it was. So because they couldn't switch anything, they had to shut the whole network just shuts down. and they wow they, they tried to restore from backups but that didn't actually help <laughs> uh 
Well, it, it's interesting because Flash, Flash was, um, Flash is a big deal. It's really easy. It was really easy to program in, and it was a great, uh, it was great for user interfaces, right? That's that's kind of what you did was you used Flash for user interfaces, and again, these these are like those dusty cobweb parts of your code that if you don't go back through and look at every once in a while, you're you're not going to find out. Oh wait, why are we using Flash and not HTML5? This was, and and it's a it's a very simple port. Like it's a it's a you know piece of cake, but it's one of those things too that I can see is like if you're if you're the new programmer hired on to handle this thing. It's not flashy. It's not going to speed anything up. And yeah, it works. Don't and, don't mess with it. <laughs> exactly. And and unless something like this happens, uh, you know, you're not going to get any traction for why it's a return on investment for them for you to spend, you know, 60 hours trying to rework this thing <laughs> yeah. or to take it down for a day just to be able to make it into the new version. So, yep. yeah. So I do love this. The, the, the resolution, though, is that they're either going to. Uh, their options are in some unspecified Microsoft-based setup or an archived pirated version of Flash without the time bomb disabling <laughs> code in it, which which is what they ended up doing. And uh, I'm sure Adobe is not happy about, about that out there, but, you know, it's what are you going to do? When I heard some some report saying that because, you know, the, the word had gone out to so many people in the rest of the world, but China keeps a real tight... Tight control mm. on tight the internet. Tight control on in, incoming news. So that's why they probably weren't aware of it. That's right. That's it's right. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's our our headlines this week. So we'll uh, we'll have more more headlines of the weird and wonderful way, uh, ways of the internet next week on the show. But but uh, before we end, of course, it's our picks of the week. And so Pat, I'm going to ask you for your pick this week. Well, uh, I chose something that I think we've had others of this type before. But I got just had gotten a uh, blood pressure monitoring device that is Bluetooth connected with its own little app. And my daughter had just gotten this. Uh, my one of my other daughters had just gotten <laughs> this one a couple weeks ago. And she was so excited because it's she can have all of her stuff that's recorded and she can just show it to her doctor. You know, she doesn't have to. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so th then, uh, yeah, I exported one today and I could export and print it and take it with me if I wanted. So uh, mm. anyway, it was it's a, a nice one. It was home run. I did some um, some research to see what which one's got good reviews. And it was it's an Omron, um, Omron 10 series. And that'll be in the notes. OK, so Omron 10 series upper arm blood pressure monitor. Right, and it's got the preformed cuff on it, so it's just not this floppy thing that you've got to get adjusted. It's already formed. You just slide it on your arm, position it, and so you don't have to worry about. I've got an older uh, blood pressure monitor that the D ring keeps slipping and then cramping and causing a, a poor take on on the blood pressure reading. So okay. that's why I got this particular one. Okay, good, good, excellent. Thomas, what's your pick this week? Alrighty, so anybody who's listened to the show for any length of time knows that I am all about free and cheap, uh, but I am about to recommend a $20 set of earbuds that <laughs> is absolutely fantastic. I've bought three of them, so you know they have to be good. <laughs> uh, it's uh, this company called Clem, I, I think, K-L-I-M. I think they make motorcycle gear. Like that's like when you go and look them up, you'll see like they have motorcycle gloves, motorcycle jackets, pants, the whole nine yards. Uh, we got these at, at uh, the school that I was working at and they uh, just to use because they have a, a microphone on them that has a volume control 
and uh, so you can turn on turn up and down what you're hearing in the headphones with the volume control on the on the slider here and um, it's got a sideways uh jack to go into things so it doesn't fit straight into something it kind of fits at an angle uh it's at a 90 degree angle so that when so when you plug it in it works it comes in a little case that has uh five different earbud options for you so it's got a silicon set it's got two different foam sets and then two different kind of rubbery ear stopper sets um and they're very comfortable uh I have sensitive skin, so they irritated my skin at first, but they are fine now. Like at, at first, it was a little bit of an irritation, but they the 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 uh, foam ones that I'm using, they're after I got used to them, though they're fine. They don't bother me at all anymore. They fit my ear great. But here's the seller. This is this is the thing that's gonna that you're gonna pay twenty dollars for, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's ingenious and wonderful. They have magnets on them, on the outsides. And at first I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. I can just hang it on my on my microphone stand. So I'll just put it on my microphone stand. They hang there. Great. But when you put these things together, when you take them off, they snap together. And then when you stick them in your pocket and you pull them back out, they can't tie knots. Oh, wow. Yes. They can't they tangle. don't get tangled. <laughs> that's the thing that sells it for me. Like right there, that was worth every penny that I've spent on these things. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Are those the ones you're wearing right now? That's, they're the ones that I'm wearing right now. Right. Yes. Awesome. That is cool. The good ones, good ones. Uh, my, I was going through headphones at a rapid uh, pace because my son is listen, listens to audiobooks all day long, and he'll he he has the phone in his pocket and he catches the headphones things. So I finally had to get him wireless headphones. But uh, uh, that yeah, but th- but those those uh, look good. He the reason I say that is I he broke my last pair, my pair of Bluetooth headphones or why I mean uh, headphones. So I'm like now I have to replace them. So I might replace them with those. Well, see, and that's, <laughs> I always I always used to get the dollar pairs because I was like you know my kids are going to take them, they're going to get broken, whatever. But I got these and I I just fell in love with them, and so I like had to go get my own setup. <laughs> and then I just bought my daughter a set of them too. So awesome, awesome, cool. So my pick this week stems from a, a particular problem I had, which is uh, I I have a, Ma- a 2020 MacBook, not an M1, the 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 last of the Intel's because that's my luck, and I, I it it's USB charge it charges via USB cable, right? It's the USB C out, and a few weeks ago, uh, my wife Melanie was using the office uh, all day on a Saturday for she was giving a talk at a conference, and so I had my MacBook in the other room and I was trying to get some stuff done and of course the battery's starting to run out and I'm, but I realized my power cable for this the, the charger for this is under my desk and I'm not going to I'm not going to crawl under the desk while she's doing her talk <laughs> so I'm like oh I've got USB-C power chargers all over the place I I could not find one in my house that provided enough power even the ones that I have for the iPod uh, the iPad just not enough power None of them would charge it. So I finally said, okay, I have to get one. So I got one that has 100 watts, and I got a long cable to go with it, which is the other part of that is the 10-foot braided cable, USB-C cable. So the ones I got were both from Aukey, A-U-K-E-Y. And so the it's the MacBook Pro 100-watt uh, USB-C charger with gallium arsenide, fast technology, power delivery, you know, PD charger. So it charges faster, you know, it, it pushes more power through. Uh, they, they sell them in a 61 watt and 100 watt. The 61 watt might have been enough, but the 100 watt is definitely plenty. So I got that one. It's only 40 bucks. I mean, that's only, I say only because 
it used to be if you wanted to get a charger for your MacBook, it was a hundred bucks or eighty bucks. It was a lot more. So it's that's that's nice. Uh, it's compact, which is also nice. And then the cable was fourteen dollars for a ten foot braided cable, which is which is good too. So I'll have links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, and now I have a, a second set. I always always with my laptops have at least two chargers. One that goes stays in the bag with the with the laptop, and one that stays at my desk. If when I was working in two places and, and bringing the laptop back and forth, I had three. One at each desk and one that stayed in the bag, and that way it was always safe. So, but this with at this price, that's a that's a doable thing. All right, I think that does it for us from for now. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can let us know any of what you have to say by commenting on the show at sqpn dot com slash technology or the sqpn Facebook page, facebook dot com slash starquest media. Or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can find links from our discussion, all the headlines, and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. If you can, we really appreciate it. It really, really helps a lot. If you could go to Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast directories where you get your podcasts from and write a review, nice five-star review. The, the reason that helps is not just because it makes us feel good, even though it does, is because uh, when you when a podcast gets reviews, it gets pushed up into the rankings and the, the recommendation engine and people looking for this sort of content will then see it. So that's that's the number one way we get new listeners besides you personally recommending it to other people, which we do greatly appreciate. So uh, if you could do that, we would love that. So until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Always glad to be here. See you next time. And Thomas and her ho, thank you as well. It's been a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>